Chapter One of In League with Israel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adele de Pinerolli. In League with Israel by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter One. To the Upward League. What Paul was to the Gentiles, may you the young apostle of our church, become to the Jews. Surely not as the priest or the Levite have you so long passed them by on the other side. Haply, being a messenger on the king's business, which requires haste, you have never noticed their need. But the world sees, and re-reading an old parable, cries out, Who is thy neighbor? Is it not even Israel also in thy midst? nor knowest thou what argument thy life to thy neighbor's creed has lent. Emerson Chapter 1. The Rabbi's Protégé It was growing dark in the library, but the old rabbi took no notice of the fact. As the June twilight deepened, he unconsciously bent nearer the great volume on the table before him, till his white beard lay on the open page. He was reading aloud in Hebrew, and his deep voice filled the room with its musical intonations. Praise him, ye heaven of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. He raised his head and glanced out toward the open sky. A star or two twinkled through the fading afterglow. Pushing the book aside, he walked to the open window and looked up. There was a noise of children playing on the pavement below, and the rumbling of an electric car in the next street. A whiff from a passing cigar floated up to him, and the shrill whistle of a newsboy with the evening paper. But Abraham at the door of his tent, Moses in the Midian desert, Elijah by the book Sherith, were no more apart from the world than this old rabbi at this moment. He saw only the star. He heard only the inward voice of adoration, as he stood in silent communion with the God of his fathers. His strong, rugged features and white beard suggested the line of patriarchs so forcibly that had a robe and sandals been substituted for the broadcloth suit he wore, the likeness would have been complete. He stood there a long time, with his lips moving silently. Then suddenly, as if his unspoken homage demanded voice, he caught up his violin. Forty years of companionship had made it a part of himself. The depth of his being that could find no expression in words poured itself out on the passionately reverent tones of his violin. In such exalted moods as this, it was no earthly instrument of music. It became to him a veritable Jacob's ladder, on which he heard the voices of the angels ascending and descending, on, on whose trembling rounds he climbed to touch the infinite. There was a quick step on the stairs and a heavy tread along the upper hall. Then the portier was pushed aside, and the voice of the world brought the rhapsody to a close. "'Where are you, Uncle Ezra? It is too dark to see, but your fiddle says that you are at home.' "'Ah, David, my boy, come in and strike a light. I was wondering why you were so late.' "'I was out on my wheel,' answered the young man. "'Cycling is warm work this time of year.' He lighted the gas and threw himself lazily down among the pile of cushions on the couch. I had a letter from Marta today. And what does the little sister have to say? Answered the rabbi, noticing a frown deepening on David's forehead. I suppose her vacation has commenced, and she will soon be on her way home again. 
no answered david with a still deeper frown she has changed all her plans and wants me to change mine just to suit the herrick family she has gone to chattanooga with them and they are up on lookout mountain she wants me to meet her there and spend part of the summer with her she grows more infatuated with francis herrick every day you know they have been inseparable friends since they first started to kindergarten why did she go down there without consulting you asked the old man impatiently you should be both father and mother to her now that neither of your parents is living i wish i were really your uncle and hers that i might have some more authority you must be more careful of her my boy she should spend this summer with you at home instead of with strangers in a hotel but uncle ezra protested david quick to excuse the little sister who was the only one in the world related to him by family ties at home there is nobody but the housekeeper mrs herrick is with the girls now and the major will join them next week marta is just like one of the family and i have encouraged the intimacy because i felt that mrs herrick gives her the motherly care she needs besides marta and francis are so congenial in every way that they find their greatest happiness together i tell them they are as bad as ruth and naomi it is a case of where thou goest i will go etc heaven forbid exclaimed the rabbi fervently do you remember the rest of that declaration thy people shall be my people and thy god my god david my son i tell you there is great danger of the child's being led away from the faith your father and hers was my dearest friend i have loved you children like my own you must heed my warning and discourage such intimacy with a gentile family especially when it includes such an agreeable member as that young albert herrick why he is only a boy uncle ezra yes but he is older than marta and they are thrown constantly together david looked down at the carpet and began absently tracing a pattern with his foot he was thinking of the little sixteen-year-old sister the seven years difference in their ages gave him a fatherly feeling for her he could not bear the thought of interfering seriously with her pleasure yet he could not ignore the old man's warning rabbi barthold had been his tutor in both languages and music aside from a few years at college all that he knew had been learned under the old man's wise supervision ezra my friend said the elder david as he lay dying take my child and make him a man after your own pattern I know your noble soul. Give his the same strength and sweetness. We are so greedy for the flesh pots of Egypt that we forget to satisfy the soul hunger. But you will teach the little fellow higher things. Later, when the end had almost come, his hand groped out feebly towards the child, who had been brought to his bedside. Never mind about the shekels, little David, he said in a hoarse, broken whisper. But clean hands and a pure heart, that's all that counts when you're in your coffin. The child's eyes grew wide with wonder as a paroxysm of pain contracted the beloved face. He was led quickly away, but those words were never forgotten. The rabbi was thinking of them now, as he studied the handsome features of the young fellow before him. It was a strong face, but refinement and gentleness showed in every line. There was something so boyish and frank, also, in its expression, that a tender smile moved the rabbi's lips. Clean hands and a pure heart, he said fondly to himself he has them ah my david if thou couldst but see how that little one has grown not only in stature but in soul life in ideals thou wouldst be satisfied well 
said aloud, as the young man left his seat and began to walk up and down the room with his hands in his pockets. What are you going to do? I scarcely know, was the hesitating answer. It would not be wise for Marta to come home, for the reason you suggest, and I have no other to offer her. Then go to her, the rabbi explained. You need not tell her that you have any fear of her being influenced by Gentile society, but never for a moment let her forget that she is a Jewess. Kindle her pride in her race. Teach her loyalty to her people, and love for all that is Hebrew. But my Hudson Bay trip, David suggested. That can wait. The Tennessee Mountains will give you as good a summer outing as you need, and you can play guardian angel for Marta while you take it. David laughed and took another turn across the room. Then he paused beside the table and picked up a newspaper. I wonder what connections the trains make now, he said. There used to be a long wait at a dismal old junction. He glanced hastily over the timetable. Why, look here, he exclaimed. Here's a cheap excursion to Chattanooga this next week. I could afford to run down and see Marta, anyhow. Maybe I could persuade her to come back with me if I promised to take her to Hudson Bay with me. What kind of an excursion? asked the rabbi. Epworth League, it says here, whatever that may be. It seems to be some sort of an international convention, and says to apply to Frank B. Marion for particulars. Marion, repeated the rabbi thoughtfully. Oh, then it is a Methodist affair. He is not only the head and shoulders of that big church on Garrison Avenue, but hands and feet as well, judging by the way he works for it. I wish my congregation would take a few lessons from him. Is he very tall, with a short brown beard and blue eyes, and a habit of shaking hands with everybody? asked David. I believe I know the man. I met him on the cars last fall. He's lively company. I've a notion to hunt him up and find out what's going on. Telephone out to Hill Hollow that you will not be at home tonight, said the rabbi, and stay in the city with me. If you conclude to go to Chattanooga next week, I have much to say to you before taking leave of you for the summer. Very well, consented David. I'll go downtown immediately and see if I can find this Mr. Marion. What is his business, do you know? A wholesale shoe merchant, I believe. He is in that big new building next to Cohen's Furniture Store on Duke Street. But you'll not find him Wednesday night. They have church in the middle of the week, and he is one of those few Christians whose life is as loud as his profession. David smiled a little bitterly. Then I shall certainly cultivate his acquaintance for the purpose of studying such a rara avis. It has never been my lot to know a Christian who measured up to his creed. Do not grow cynical, my lad, answered the old man, gently. I have made you a dreamer like myself. I have kept you in an atmosphere of high ideals. I have led you into the companionship of all that was heroic in the past, and held you apart as much as possible from the sordid selfishness of the age. Oh, I grow sick at heart sometimes when I stroll through the great centers of trade, watching the fierce struggle of humanity as they snatch the bread from other mouths to feed their own. You remember our Hebrew word for teach comes from tooth and means to make sharp like a tooth. Sometimes I think that primitive idea has become the popular view of education in this day. Anything that will fit a man to bite and cut his way through this hungry wolf pack is what is sought after, no matter how many of his kind are trampled underfoot in the struggle. 
I am almost afraid for you to step down from the place where I have kept you. When you are thrown with men who care for nothing but material things, who would barter not only their birthrights but their souls for a mess of pottage, I am afraid you will lose faith in humanity. That is quite likely, Uncle Ezra. Aye, but I would not have it so, David. The world is certainly growing a little less savage, and in every nature smolders some spark, however small, of the eternal good. No matter how we have fallen, we still bear the imprint of the Creator, in whose likeness we were first fashioned. Rabbi Barthold had been right in calling himself a dreamer. The ability to live apart from his surroundings had been his greatest comfort. Because of it, the rigor of extreme poverty that surrounded his early life had not touched his heart with its baneful chill. He had gone through the world a happy optimist. He had been trained according to the most strictly orthodox system of Judaism. But even its severe pressure failed to confine him to the limits of such a narrow mold. He was still a dreamer. In the new world, he had cast aside the shackles of tradition for the larger liberty of the reformed Jew. Now, in his serene old age, surrounded by luxuries, he still lived apart in a world of music and literature. His congregation, broken loose from the old moorings, drifted dangerously toward radicalism, but he stood firm in the belief that the chosen people would finally triumph over all error, and found much comfort in the thought. David took out his watch. It is after eight o'clock, he said. Probably, if I walk down Garrison Avenue, I may meet Mr. Marion coming from church. I'll be back soon. People were beginning to file out of the side entrance that led to the prayer meeting room by the time he reached the church. Is Mr. Frank Marion in here? he asked of the colored janitor, who was standing in the doorway. Yes, sir, was the emphatic response. He certainly is, sir. He am always the first to come and the last to depart. "'Why, good evening, Mr. Herschel,' exclaimed a pleasant voice. David turned quickly to lift his hat. An elderly lady was coming down the steps with two young girls. She came up to him with a smile and held out her hand. "'I have not seen you since you came back from college,' she said cordially. "'But I never lose my interest in any of Rob's playmates.' "'Thank you, Mrs. Bond,' he replied, with his hat still in his hand. As she passed on, a swift rush of recollection brought back the big attic where he had passed many a rainy day with Rob Bond. He recalled with something of the old boyish pleasure a certain jar on their pantry shelf, where the most delicious ginger snaps were always to be found. But the next moment the smile left his lips, as an exclamation of one of the girls was carried back to him. It was made in an undertone, but the still evening air transmitted it with startling distinctness. Why, Auntie, he's a Jew. I didn't think he would shake hands with a Jew. He could not hear Mrs. Bond's reply. He drew him up haughtily. Then the indignant flash died out of his eyes. After all, why should he, with the princely blood of Israel in his veins, care for the callow prejudices of a little schoolgirl? A crowd of people passed out, laughing and talking. Then he saw Mr. Marion come into the vestibule with several boys just as the janitor began to extinguish the lights. He turned to David with a hearty smile and a strong hand-clasp, recognizing him instantly. "'How are you, brother?' he asked. He spoke with a slight southern accent. Somehow, David felt forcibly 
that it was not merely as a matter of habit that Frank Marion called him brother. Such a warm, personal interest seemed to speak through the friendly blue eyes looking so honestly into his own, that he was halfway persuaded to go to Chattanooga with him before a word had been said on the subject. They walked several blocks together up the avenue, discussing the excursion. Then Mr. Marion stopped at the gate of an old-fashioned residence, built some distance back from the street. "'I have a message to deliver to Miss Hallam, a cousin of mine,' he said. "'If you will wait a moment, I'll go over to, with you to the office.' The front door stood open, and the hall lamp sent a flood of yellow light streaming out into the warm June darkness. In response to Mr. Marion's knock, there was a flutter of a white dress in the hall, and the next instant the massive old doorway framed a picture which the young Jew never forgot. It was Bethany Hallam. The light seemed to make a halo of her golden hair, and to illuminate her dress and the sweet upturned face with such an ethereal whiteness that David was reminded of a psyche in Parian marble. "'Who is she?' he exclaimed, as Mr. Marion rejoined him. "'One never sees a face like that outside of some artist's conception. "'It is too spiritual for this planet.' but too sad for any other. "'She is Judge Hallam's daughter,' Mr. Marion responded. "'He died last fall, and Bethany is grieving herself to death. "'I have at last persuaded her to go to Chattanooga with us. "'She needs to have her thoughts turned into another channel, "'and I hope this trip will accomplish that purpose.' "'I knew the judge,' said David. "'I met him a number of times after I was admitted to the bar.' "'Oh, I didn't know you were a lawyer,' said Mr. Marion. "'Yes, I expect to begin practicing here after vacation,' he answered. "'Well, I'm going to begin practice right now,' said Mr. Marion, laughing, "'and plead my case to such purpose that you will be persuaded to take this Chattanooga trip.' He slipped his arm through David's and drew him around the corner towards the store. End of chapter 1 Recording by Adelde Pinerolis